Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. There was a man several years ago, as the story tells, he was in Georgia and he was found beaten up. He was naked, he was unconscious behind, if I believe, a Burger King. And so he was there, he was discovered, and after the beating, he had this severe amnesia where he could not remember anything about his life, his identity, who he was, where he came from, any of this stuff. And nobody had any records on him, he had no records. The FBI did a fingerprint, a DNA search, they couldn't find anything. He was on the Dr. Phil show, and Dr. Phil hired a private investigator, and he couldn't find anything. This lady, a nurse named Catherine, took him in and tried to recover some of his memories, and she couldn't discover anything. And this guy went for several years with no sense of identity of who he was. That'd be a scary thing, isn't it? Wow. And just think of that were you. Think of you in that situation. And the tragic thing is, is that for too many of us, in the body of Christ and the church, we don't know who we are. Yeah, we may know our names, we may know our birth dates and all of kind of our history, but when it comes to what is most important and is most eternally defining about our lives, we have a case of mistaken identity. We look at our lives and we're still searching to be somebody significant. And if the gospel is true, as we've been going through the book of Romans, it simply tells us that our identity is given to us as a gift, and we don't have to pretend to be someone we are not. George Harrison, who's deceased but was a beetle, sang songs that asked the questions, who am I, why am I here, where am I going? Nicole Kidman, an accomplished actress, making $15 million a movie, said this, I don't know who I am or what I am or where I'm headed. The question is, is that if the gospel is true, how does that define who we are? And out of who we are, what we live and what we prioritize and what are going to be the focus, the vision and the purposes of our lives and our church. So we want to talk about no more pretending. So if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to hang out, verses 1 to 10. So go ahead and open there. If you're using your Bible app, turn to your version or Bible gateway. And as usual, have scriptures by way of the screen as we continue through Romans 8. Now, we have been saying that Romans is about the gospel. Chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, that is by faith from first to last, for the righteous shall live by faith, as the Bible says. 
And we've been in chapter 7 where it talks about that as we now receive forgiveness and we're trying to live out the gospel, live out our faith, chapter 7 is one of the darkest chapters in all of the Bible. Paul refers to himself about 50, almost 50 different times using the pronouns, personal pronouns, I and me. And he talks about his struggle and his failures and all of those kind of things. And it ends in chapter 7, verse 24, as we saw last week, where Paul went to the very bottom of despair. And he says, what a wretched man that I am. And he told the truth about himself. Truth that can be read for thousands of years and has been. And, and we take comfort in that because we've learned that we can tell the truth about ourselves and still be loved. But the question is, is okay, in our struggle with sin, in our failure, in our disappointments, in the times we've disappointed ourselves, we've disappointed others, and we feel like we've disappointed God, What is the consequence? That is the question. With all of my sin, then does God judge me? Does then God look down upon me? Because I struggle in the way that I do, how does God perceive me? And so we shift to chapter 8, where there is a big transition, and Paul answers the question with one of the most important verses that you can stockpile in your mind, in your fight in your battle to gain and understand your identity in Jesus Christ. And in chapter 8, verse 1, if we could see it by way of the screen, here's what Paul says. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's read that together. I want to make sure you're awake with me this morning. Chapter 8, verse 1, read it together. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As you're struggling with sin, as you're struggling with failure, as all of the world and the devil and everything is coming against you in saying that God is disappointed in you, God is against you, you don't have no hope, Romans tells us there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Is that good news this morning? First truth I want us to see this morning, if you're in a note-writing mood, when it comes to no more pretending, is that our punishment is done. Our punishment is done. We don't need to inflict punishment on ourselves anymore. As we look in chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It does not say there's no mistakes for those who are in Christ Jesus. There are no more disappointments. There is no more failure. We know that's not true. And if you don't know it's true, then ask your wife. Ask your husband. They'll they'll tell you that, that there's still disappointments, there's still failures, that there's still those struggles. But because we do struggle... Because we are in so many battles with sin. Because we have so many kind of failures. There's this thinking in the back of our mind that judgment's coming our way. Karma's going to get us. The bad juju is going to hit us eventually. And when something bad happens to us, 
we say, okay, now it's my time. God's giving back at me. We stub our toe in the morning, the corner of the bed. God's getting back at me. We're on that traffic jam. We need to get to work and we're late. God's getting back at me. I've got this important meeting and I'm going to be late. We go to Taco Bell and we order meat in our taco and they forget to put the meat in it and God's getting back at me. We're a vegetarian, we're a vegan. We order the taco and we said no meat and then they put the meat in it and God's getting back at me. We go through illness, sickness, disease. It could be something serious. And I'm going through this because God is getting back at me. And friends, that is one of the worst feelings. Because when life is hitting us hard, it's at that point we want to know that God is in our corner and he's not the one in the ring throwing the punches. Because if he's throwing the punches, it's pretty hopeless, isn't it? And Paul is saying there's no condemnation. And the word here, condemnation in the Greek, is in the singular form. And so it can be literally translated, there is not one single condemnation which will come our way. The Common English Bible translates it like this, so now there isn't any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said that God cannot punish us for sin because he punished Jesus Christ. And to punish two people when one has already paid the full price would be unjust and would be wrong. If I turn up the thermostat as the wind as the winter setting in, or at least the late fall, and it's getting really cold. And I turn up the thermostat to seventy eight degrees to to keep things really warm. Now, trust me, I'm not the one likely to do that. That's going to be Brenda. But for the sake of discussion, she will come in all the time. I've been at home. She'll come in. Anthony, it's freezing in here, and she goes right to the thermostat. But for the sake of arguments. I've got that thermostat to 78 degrees. And then DTE at the end of the month gives us this enormous electric bill and Brenda pays it. We pay the price for my high use or she pays for my high use of electricity. It's paid for, it's done. And DTE cannot come to me and say, Anthony, you need to pay also because you were the one who jacked up the heat so much in your home using so much energy. And say, no, I'm not going to pay for that because my wife already did. And folks, it's the same way with our sin. Jesus has paid the punishment. He has bore the condemnation for our sin. Now, let me be very clear on what this does not say. It does not say that there are therefore no consequences for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that. There's a big difference between consequences and condemnation. 
Consequences are what we sometimes or oftentimes have to bear because of our actions. But even in our consequences, that is not separation from God. And even in facing our consequences, as hard and as difficult as they may be, we will find the closeness and the presence and the love of Jesus Christ in a greater way than we've ever found before. I've known people who have faced the consequences of committing a crime, even as Christians, and they go to jail. This is the worst experience to go to jail. But I found the presence of God there, and I found that He loved me, and I found that He was with me. I found that He was so close to me. I had a spending problem. I was addicted to buying things. And I continued to jack up the credit card. And I could continue to purchase more than, and spend more than I was bringing in. And I had to file for bankruptcy. And I was constrained and I was limited in my financial purchasing for the first time. I had to face the consequences. But it was freeing and liberating because I no longer had to be addicted to purchasing more and finding significance through what I bought. And I found the closeness of God in a greater way. There's a relationship and I broke a trust. I took advantage of a person, took them for granted. We separated for a little while, but in the process I learned to appreciate and to love that person. And God was with me and God walked with me so closely. And so folks, because we face consequences, it is not the same as condemnation because God is still there in the midst of the consequences that we have to face. Amen? Think about Peter. Remember when Peter, he tried to kill a guy? If you don't remember that. He cut the, cut the ear off of that one soldier who's coming to arrest Jesus. See, Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman. That's a good thing. Because he was aiming right down the, right in the middle of the head and just got the ear. And Peter denied Jesus three times and he wept and he faced the consequences for his sin. But after Jesus resurrected, Jesus confronted Peter And he restored him. And he said, go and feed my sheep. So folks, we're no longer condemned. The punishment has been paid. Number Truth number two is this. Our position is defined. Our position is defined. Look in verse one once again. There is therefore no condemnation. Notice it's conditional. For those who are in Christ Jesus. Now that little phrase right there, in Christ Jesus, is monumental. In the New Testament, it is used about 87 times. And beyond that, another 150 times for different types of equivalents. And the term in Christ means that what is true of Jesus is true of you. That you are in Him, that you are covered in Him, and that when God sees you, He sees Jesus surrounding you. And what is true of Jesus is true of you. If we could see by way of the screen this quote, 
by Rankin Wilburn. He says this, God doesn't love you to the degree that you are like Christ. He loves you to the degree that you are in Christ. And that is always 100%. You think about your very worst day. And then you think about Jesus when he was preaching on the Sermon of the Mount or when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and the Father looked at him and said, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. God the Father looks at you just as pleasing and just as much loved when your worst day is when he looked at Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount or being on the Mount of Transfiguration. That is how loved and that is how valued you are. And folks, we need to let that sink in. Because if that is true, then we don't need to pretend to be someone we are not. We don't need to pretend like we need to be somebody who is worthy to be loved. That is monumental. Little first grader asked his grandmother, Grandmother, am I a child of God? She says, yes, you're a child of God. He said, well, I better go home and let my parents know because they think I'm theirs. <laughs> and we don't define ourselves so much by our human lineage. When you're in Christ, you define yourself by your eternal lineage. That's a big difference. When you think about this concept, let's think about this, that you are in Christ that is used in its concepts over about 230 times. But when you look at the term Christian, which is what we usually call ourselves, and that's okay, but in the Bible, do you know how many times the term Christian is used? Three times. When we use the term Christian, that is more socially shaped. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I am a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. I go to church on Easter. I have a Bible in my home. At Christmas, I, I put a manger in front of my house. Yes, I am a Christian. And we, we define that because of our social upbringing, how we've been so socially shaped, and that's okay. But when you are in Christ, that is what you are is eternally defined. I've had this discussion several times with people. If you are in Christ, you have been elected, you have been chosen from eternity. To be elected and chosen, we're going to talk about that, means that your destiny at this time and this place is in Jesus Christ for His purposes and for this time that our world needs. Look at the scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Paul writes this, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Isn't that good news? But notice why that is, verse 29. For those God foreknew... Those he foreknew before even the worlds were flung into place. 
Those he foreknew even before the galaxies were put into place. Those he foreknew even before the continents were placed on the earth. Those he foreknew even before the oceans and the seas were spread across the expanse of this earth. Those he foreknew, he knew you before the world was ever put into place. He has known you from eternity. And so this, he foreknew you, he predestined you. He has given you a destiny. He has given you a purpose to be conformed in the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He foreknew you from eternity. You are in him, and therefore you are called his family. You are one of his brothers, or you are one of his sisters, depending on what your gender is. That's powerful. To be in him means that you have been eternally elected. And this is what the Bible teaches. And so what that means is that you're not a mistake. God does not look at you and think, oh boy, you got to be kidding. Oh, boy, we should have thought that one through a little bit more. Oh, boy, there's my problem, child. Mm, Boy, I did something wrong with that one. No, he doesn't do that. You are in him, and that is your identity. And because of that, you do not have to pretend to be someone that you are not. And this leads to the third truth, is that our power is dynamic. Our power is dynamic. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus... The law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Watch this. This is big. As I said before, in chapter 7, Paul mentions himself about nearly 50 times. uses the term I or me, and the term I in the Greek is the term ego. And his ego is on display. I'm trying to be something before God. He's in the flesh. I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to make myself someone. I am trying to be significant. I am trying not to disappoint God. But he continues and he continues and he continues to fail. But in chapter 8, there is never a personal pronoun. There is never an I or a me. There's no ego. In chapter 8, the emphasis is now the person that you see over and over is not Paul or the ego, but it is the Holy Spirit. And here in chapter 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 19 different times. The law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. And Paul does not think less of himself In chapter 8 and chapter 7, he is thinking about himself less. And when you know your identity in Jesus Christ, it's not about who you are and what you do and what you accomplish. It's now about who he is, what he has done, and what he has accomplished. And your identity is in him. Does that make any sense? Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh. just couldn't fulfill its demands on your own effort. God did by sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be met fully in us. Notice it's in us, not by us or through us, but in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, God fulfills his law in us, and so we're no longer bound by the fear of punishment, but we are liberated by the love of virtue. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit, we learn to love to obey him rather than fearing that we have to obey him or else something bad is going to come our way. Now think about this in verse 2. It says that the law of the Spirit has set us free and gives us life over the law of sin and death. Now what is this law of sin and death? Think of law as like a force, like a principle, almost like the the law of gravity. It's something that's at work and operating in the world. It's a principle that we are self-centered. We always do that which we believe is best for us, but often that turns out to be what is not best for us, and it is against the ways of God. You think about the, the laws of nature. Think about the law of gravity. That's a law, right? It's a principle of physics. So the law of gravity keeps me this morning bound to this platform, keeps me bound, magnetized to the planet Earth. If that law wasn't here, then we would all be up doing the service up on the ceiling. That'd be pretty kind of fun, I think. But the law of gravity keeps us to the Earth. And so if I go up to a mountain or I go up on top of a building and I look and I want to jump, I want to soar, I want to be like a bird, and I jump off of a building, am I going to soar? No, I'm going to splat because of the law of gravity. But many of you, like me, you've been to Detroit Metro Airport, and you've sat inside this humongous metal tube with wings. This thing, it's a Boeing 767, it's 175,000 pounds. And you think if anything's not going to get earthbound, it's not going to be this huge, massive piece of metal. I mean, if anything where the law of gravity is just going to keep it down, that's, that's not going to go up. But it goes up, doesn't it? And it goes up because it operates by some other laws. The laws of thrust, the laws of lift, the laws of aerodynamics. And so because of that, I have started in Detroit and I have taken a nonstop flight to Sacramento or Seattle because though the laws of gravity are still in place, there are other laws that are superseding the laws of gravity that allow that massive piece of metal to fly. And so it is within our lives. There's laws that are leading us towards selfishness and self-destructiveness. But now within us is a new law, a new principle, the power of the Spirit that supersedes those laws of self-centeredness. Look in verse 9 and 10. Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life 
because of righteousness. I was with a woman this week. She may have about two more months to live. She has an advanced disease. She's aged. She's elderly. But as I talked with her, I saw peace. I saw hope. I saw serenity on her face. I saw joy even a greater joy and contentment than I see most people in this world who have complete physical health. And I looked at her and I said, you are a testimony to the power of Jesus Christ because there is something that is in you that is greater than the things that are tearing you down. You are a testimony. I look at people who have grown up And they have heard negative words all of their lives. They've been beaten down. They've been told of what they can't do, what they'll never accomplish. And then they come to Jesus Christ and they've got a new principle within them. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to them. And they're battling the words in their minds that they're a failure, that they're no good, that they'll never amount to anything. But then the Spirit speaks inspiration and the truth of God's Word. And they start to rise up. And they start to be different. And they start to fulfill their destiny. And they're a testimony that there is a greater law that is work within them superseding the old. I see people. I see people facing addictions for whatever life choices, difficult circumstances. And in the midst of those addictions, they're facing them, they're confronting them, they're confronting the demons because they're confronting those because they've got a greater love, they've got a greater acceptance, they've got a greater power that is within them than the power that is work within the world. So let's bring this in for a landing. Let me give you a couple of encouragements here this morning as we talk about no longer pretending. And so the first thing I want to encourage you with this morning as we seek to to, to put some shoe leather on this is, number one, give up the performing. Give up the performing. Paul talks about how we do that in verses 5 through 7. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What is the key to victory? Where is the key to moving through maturity? Paul says five different times, it is your mindset. Verse 5, their minds set on the flesh, their minds set on the spirit, their mind governed by the flesh, the mind governed by the spirit, the mind governed by the flesh does not submit to God. In other words, where your mind thinks is where your actions will follow. You will behave what you believe. Out of your identity will come your destiny. And it's a matter of maturity, is a matter of your thinking, and it's a matter of your mindset. When you've got inspiration, that's God speaking to you. 
this thought about what you could be, what you could do, about your hope, about your status, about your love that reflects the Word of God. That's inspiration. But when Satan speaks to us, that's temptation. That's temptation. It's about your failure. It's about your condemnation. It's about how you'll never amount to anything. And when we speak to ourselves, that is our own minds. And sometimes it's wisdom and sometimes it's stupidity according to the voices that we hear. And when we hear those words of temptations, it says, you know what? You have to earn God's acceptance. You don't matter. You're not that important. Look at your track record. It's against you. Your resume spiritually isn't great. You'll never get it right. You're not one of the talented ones. You don't have a high enough IQ. You know that sin you committed or was committed against you? You're just damaged goods. Accept that. And folks, those are the lies. And sometimes when those lies are inserted, we believe them and we just keep repeating them to ourselves over and over and over. And that's the battle in our mind and in our thinking becomes a certain way. Our behaviors begin to follow. But then God's word takes a hold of our lives. We begin to believe it. We receive Christ. We start to step forward in our destiny. We start believing different ways and then behaving in different ways. And we have more hope. We have more focus. And then what happens? We fail. We sin. We disappoint ourselves or disappoint others. And in doing that, Satan comes along and says, do you see? You're not going to make it. You're no good. Or in the process, we're moving forward, we're advancing, but then we have these doubts that creep in and say, look, you're not going to be able to keep this up. Why don't you just stop? And in the midst of that battle, we go to Romans and we say, look, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We believe that and we hold to that truth And we understand that we are in Jesus Christ, chosen from eternity, and that God has a destiny which he wants us to fulfill. Number two, give up the pretending. Give up the pretending. Verse 8, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So in your natural ability, quit trying to make God happy or proud or to please Him or to do something to impress Him. You cannot do that. He has now given you His Spirit. And so when we pretend, it's like we try to be something on the outside for God, something on the outside for others. We try to impress people, but on the inside, we know it's not working. But we try, don't we? We come to church, we have the family in the car, everybody comes in smiles, everything looks good, but they don't know about the fight that occurred all the way from here to church. And it wasn't that good in the car, but it's a lot better when you come to church. You know what, you don't have to pretend. You can say, you know what, I'm in Jesus Christ, and I'm in a process, I'm in a journey And you know what, I'm going to be authentic. God is good, but I'm struggling. You've got a ministry. God is using you. God is working through you. God is blessing you. But there's another side of you where you're struggling with anxiety. You're struggling with depression. And you know what, that's okay. 
Isn't that awesome that God works through vessels that are flawed, through what Second Corinthians 4 calls jars of clay? And we can say, you know what? I am a wounded healer. I don't have it all together, but God is working through me and God is using me. And we don't have to pretend to be someone that we are not. You believe God and you trust God, but there's issues where you struggle with doubts and you just continue to suppress them. You just continue to turn away from them rather than openly talk about them. And saying, hey, you know, here's where I'm struggling. Here's something that doesn't make sense. And what the Bible calls us to do is to no longer pretend to be someone we're not, but rather to tell the truth about our lives and to know that we are in Jesus Christ and there's no condemnation. Well, I want to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come forward this morning. And if you need prayer for any any issue or any circumstance, We'll have the prayer team that will be to the left of the sanctuary. And they'll be there to minister to you and to love on you. But we're going to struggle. We're going to have failures. We're going to have disappointments. I want to go ahead and invite you to stand because we're going to read a scripture here in a few moments. We're going to have sin that's going to want to bully our lives. And imagine it's like when you went to school and you were going home from school and there was that bully and he was bigger than you, stronger than you, and he was mean. And he would come up to you and say, look, give me your lunch money. Give me that item, give me that gift, give me whatever. And you didn't do it, you didn't meet his demands. And what did he do? He pushed you down and he kicked you. He bullied you. And you weren't strong enough, you weren't tall enough, you weren't big enough, you couldn't defeat that bully, and that's the struggle against sin. But imagine you're there, and that bully's kicking you, that bully is demeaning you, but then you see somebody coming down the road. It's your big brother. And you see your big brother coming down the road, and you stand up, because you realize that somebody's now coming to fight on your side. Somebody's now coming to fight with you. Somebody's now coming to fight for you. And now that is the way it is with Romans 8. We still have the struggle, but we now have a big brother inside of us in that when sin and the devil and everything is coming against us, the Holy Spirit is our big brother and he's coming to fight for us and he's saying, you've fallen, but get up. We're not like that commercial anymore. That lady says, I've fallen and I can't get up. You can get up, okay? Because you now have the Holy Spirit. And as you fall down, get back up, continue to move on. As you fall down, get back up, continue to move on. As you fall down, get back up and continue to move on. Because the difference now is that through every time that we fall, we grow and we mature and we learn more.